Our Father, we thank you that you are a God that speaks, that you have revealed yourself in your Son and in your Word. And we thank you that your Word, the Bible, is as relevant today as when your servants first penned them. And we pray that you give us ears to hear your Word, understanding of it, wisdom to know how to put it into practice. And we pray in particular tonight that you would comfort us and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fear. Fear drives people to do, at times, crazy things, to believe crazy things and to do crazy things. Why is everyone buying toilet paper this week? On my uh, regular journey to, to Woolworths this week, I noticed there was not a toilet roll to be seen on the shelf anywhere, except in people's shopping trolleys where they had piled excessive packets of toilet paper up for all to see. Why did they do that? Fear. Fear of what? Uh, fear of COVID-19 or coronavirus and its impact on our community. I'm still trying to wrestle in my mind the link between toilet paper and coronavirus. The only thing that I can think of is the idea that if you have to self-isolate at some point, then you want to make sure you've got enough uh, toilet paper in stock. That's the only thing that I can think of, other than wanting to blow your nose with toilet paper. I'm not sure how that's helpful. Uh, as opposed to normal tissue paper, but there you go. Fear drives people to crazy things and to do and to believe crazy things at times as well. And that whole toilet paper thing led to a herd psychology. As you saw people doing that, maybe you felt in you, oh, maybe I need to do it as well because if they're doing it, maybe there's something in that. And or even just to the point where you go, if everybody else is buying toilet paper. How many rolls have I got in my house and there's none on the shelf? Am I going to run out soon? And then you start to get, you feed into that whole frenzy uh, as well. Why? Because of fear. And fear of missing out is relevant in lots of different areas of life, not just when it comes to uh, viruses. FOMO leads to travellers getting to the airport more than three hours early, just in case. Fear of missing out leads concert goers camping out, not just overnight, sometimes two days before a concert just so that they can get the best place in there and not miss out. FOMO leads people to set multiple alarms on their smartphone just in case they sleep through the first one. There's always another one and or, or even another one. FOMO is a real thing that drives crazy beliefs and behaviours at times. And it's also true in the spiritual realm. There is spiritual FOMO as well. From the Athenian creation of an altar to an unknown God amongst the pantheon of all the gods that they had, just in case they missed one, let's create an altar to an unknown God. To the contemporary and modern day philosophies of movies like The Life of Pi or Eat, Pray, Love, where you syncretize even contradictory religious and spiritual beliefs, just in case you've missed out on one that is really important. And we can have spiritual FOMO in our Reformed Protestant Christian spirituality as well. Because we all go through periods of, of doubt and fear and, and uncertainty about our relationship with God. We often are well aware of our weaknesses and our sin and the temptations that we all still face. And so we can start to wonder or fear, maybe I don't have a real relationship with God. Maybe I am missing out on something. And then you hear stories of other Christians 
who seem to have these victories over sin and temptation and nothing seems to faze them. Some Christians who even claim to have these amazing visions of God and, and auditory voices from heaven speaking to me like, well, I haven't had any of those experiences. Maybe I haven't got a real relationship with God and that fear can paralyze you in your Christian life as well. Paul firmly addresses these fears in Colossians chapter 2 for us tonight. We've been saying throughout this series that the reason Paul wrote his letter to the Colossians was so that they might be built to last. Or another phrase that we've been using week in and week out is that they would grow up and not give up. And you might add to that tonight with this idea of fear to grow up and not give in to fear that is there around them. Our passage tonight begins with a great summary verse that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. If there are any verses in the whole letter to memorize, these are beautiful ones to memorize. Where Paul starts, therefore. In other words, in view of everything that I have just written in Colossians 1 to 2, verse 5. Everything about the supremacy of Christ. My struggle for you, Colossians, that you would grow to maturity in Christ in view of all that. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. And what follows in verse 8 to 23 is a real application of walking in and it comes in the form of a warning. A warning from Paul to be wary of teaching that has the sound of spirituality but provides nothing of value but actually promotes and provokes fear in God's people. And I think the warning of verse 8 to 23 can be summarised like this. Guard your mind and keep your head. Guard your mind and keep your head. Firstly, in verse 8 to 15, Paul basically says, guard your mind. What were the Colossians to guard their minds against? Let's have a look. Verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. Now, there's nothing specific here that gives away any particular concern that Paul has or false teaching that might be creeping into the Colossian church, all we're told is that whatever it was, it was empty, deceitful philosophy based on human traditions and whatever these elemental forces of the world are. And as you might imagine, there has been much debate over these things. Uh, some people think that the elemental forces of the world are the fundamental forces of nature, at least in the ancient world. Wind, fire, earth, water, Captain Planet kind of stuff. <laughs> and in the ancient Near East, pagan cultures were big into wind, water, fire and earth and, and developed spiritualities, even gods associated with these elemental forces of nature. And they had traditions associated with it, spiritual activities that they would do to these pagan gods in hoping to get something from them. You do a certain religious tradition and you might get a fertile soil from the earth. 
you do another particular spiritual tradition and you might become prosperous and wealthy and you might be healthy and recover from sicknesses and and superstitions like that and it seems that these worldly philosophies and human traditions have crept into well we know they've crept into certain expressions of judaism at the time of jesus and paul there was a community called the essenes the jewish essene community which talked about having greater spiritual experiences of god and doing new things to try and get closer uh, to god and it seems that that might be creeping into the christian community as well maybe a belief that there was more to christianity than just receiving jesus as lord there were other things that you needed to do to fully experience god to have a, a higher knowledge and understanding of him we're not told what specifically was being sold uh, to the colossians some have thought it was an early onset of a worldview known as gnosticism uh, gnosticism gnosis knowledge uh, it was a splinter group within christianity that would appear um, after the time colossians was written where this group claimed to have secret knowledge of god through their visionary experiences of heaven but only they knew it but they were the real christians the others who didn't have that gnosis that knowledge well they were subpar maybe what was happening in Colossae was an early version of that but i think given what paul later says in colossians 2 where he talks about circumcision and angels and sabbath days and moon festivals and eating this and not eating that there may have been some jewish traditions or some jewish teaching coming into the colossian church saying okay you've received jesus as lord but to be truly god's people you need to add to your belief in jesus the old traditions that god's people used to do forever sabbath days circumcision moon festivals and all those things but whatever it was paul says they are human traditions and are empty in other words they might promise great spiritual things but in fact they lack substance and their greatest error according to paul in verse 8 is that they are not based on faith and so from verse 9 to 15 paul reminds the colossians of christ he reminds that when they received jesus as lord when they trusted in him for their life and their eternity god didn't withhold anything from them it's not like they have missed out on anything in fact they have everything already you see verse 9 the entire fullness of god's nature dwells in christ in other words there is no more special knowledge of god to be revealed that hasn't already been revealed in christ if you put your trust in jesus you have god in his full revelation verse 10 you colossians have been filled by him the one who is the fullness of god you have been filled by him the one who is over and more powerful than any ruler authority taking us back to colossians 1 where we were told that jesus is supreme in power supreme in his position there is no one or thing that can compare to him and you've been filled with him colossians says and then verse 11 and 12 Paul says that they don't need to be circumcised or, or baptized in a certain way to be genuinely spiritual because spiritually speaking, they have already been circumcised and baptized into Christ. 
When Jesus died on the cross, their old way of life was cut off, circumcised. When Christ died and was buried in the grave and the Colossians believed that, they too were united with him and went down into the grave spiritually with him. And when Christ was raised to life on the third day, spiritually speaking, if they've trusted in Jesus, they too have risen to a new life. Verse 13, Paul reminds the Colossians that Jesus has forgiven them their sins, that they have been made alive. And how did that happen? Verse 14 and 15, Jesus did it at the cross, where the list of all our sins, not just the Colossians, and all the just punishment and judgment that list of sins deserved was nailed to the cross. Jesus bared it in our place so that we never have to. Paul is trying to encourage the Colossians, don't fear that you have missed out on anything. Someone might be trying to sell you something else, that you've fallen short, that there's special knowledge, there's more things that you can do to know God better. Paul's saying, no, don't listen. Guard your mind. You have everything in Christ already. I've used this illustration before, but I think it works so well. A few years ago, I don't know what year it was, maybe 2006 now, Ness and I had the opportunity to go to the U2 concert in Sydney, the Vertigo uh, concert. It was a great concert, by the way. We love U2. But the only thing that we needed to get into that concert was the tickets. I didn't need to be able to play the guitar like the edge. Thankfully, I was still allowed in. I didn't even know every lyric of every U2 song since the 70s. They still let me in because I had the tickets. Because those things didn't matter. And it's the same in our Christian life as well. We're all longing for the heavenly concert. And the only thing we need to get in is the tickets. It doesn't matter about your moral and spiritual performance. It doesn't matter whether you have memorized every lyric of the Bible, every verse, every chapter, every book. The only thing you need to get into the heavenly concert is the tickets. And the ticket is Jesus. The ticket is Jesus. If you've got him, you've got access to the heavenly concert. Yes, there will be people out the front gate telling you, oh, your ticket will get you in. But if you buy this other ticket, not only can you get in, but you can get closer to the stage. Front row seats. Guard your mind. Do not listen. Do not purchase that ticket. The Jesus ticket is all you need. And when you get into that heavenly concert, that ticket will give you access to every part of it. You do not need to fear that you're going to miss out on anything. Guard your mind. And then as we move into verse 16 to 23, uh, Paul, I think, goes on to say, guard your mind and keep your head. Verse 16 begins almost like a conclusion to his old argument where he says, Therefore, in light of what I said, guarding your mind, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. But the substance is the Messiah. Guard your mind. Don't chase after shadows when you've already got the reality right there in front of you. But in the rest of the verses, he extends the reason to guard your mind. 
And that is because it's not just a difference of opinion, like some people think this tradition will help them spiritually and others don't, but it's okay. No, Paul says it's outright dangerous to insist on human tradition and philosophy in your relationship with the Lord. I mean, in verse 8, he's already talked about being captivated or being captured. The literal word there means kidnapped. That's the kind of how serious it is. But have a look at verse 18 and 19 and see the consequences of believing someone who insists that you need to do something else plus believe in Jesus. Verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons develops and growth with growth from God. That's how serious it is. Disqualification there. And not just disqualification from indoor soccer or whatever sporting fixture you might be imagining. Disqualification from life itself, from eternal life. And decapitation, losing your head. These are serious matters. That's why I've called the message, guard your mind and keep your head. If you insist on certain traditions to be added to your faith, you're in danger of losing your head. In all sense of the word, pragmatically, it's losing your head because it's absolute nonsense to insist on these things because it doesn't actually work. That's Paul's argument in verse 20 to the end. He says, if you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, humility and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. In other words, it's nonsense. They don't help. They don't make it easier to overcome sin just by whacking your body or doing certain spiritual practices. Paul says they are, have no value in doing that, in achieving that. You lose your head. It's nonsense. But even more dangerous than that, insisting on Jesus plus, even if it sounds spiritual, you run the real risk of losing the head. Not just your head. The head. Did you see that verse 19? He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. Talking about Jesus. If you insist that somebody needs to believe in Jesus plus something else to be right with God, you're not connected to the head. Decapitation. That's a serious place to be in. So some Christian mathematics for you. Jesus plus anything is Jesus minus, leaving you with nothing. Jesus plus anything is Jesus minus, leaving you with nothing. During the week, I watched this YouTube video, not a cat video. It was the one that was helpful for this talk, where a scientist took a, a perfectly good aluminium Coke can, not Diet Coke, the real thing, not even Coke Zero, normal, 
surface, are you okay? Place it in a bowl and then proceeded to pour sodium hydroxide into the Coke can and to the bowl around it. And in only a few short moments, the sodium hydroxide dissolved the entire aluminium can of Coke. All that was left after a few minutes of this was just the plastic wrapping that the can uh, was wrapped in. Perfectly good can of Coke plus sodium hydroxide equals no Coke can. Jesus plus worldly philosophy and human tradition equals no Jesus. No Jesus. Guard your mind, keep your thoughts. Trying to spice up Jesus, you just end up losing him all together. Now the, the fear and false teaching that faced the Colossians, teaching around circumcision and strange doctrines about angels and visionary experiences might sound so foreign to our contemporary experience of Christianity today. But can I say, the sad truth is that the problem in Colossae has been a problem that has plagued the Christian church all throughout history and is still an issue that we face today. You might not hear anybody down the front telling you, you must believe in Jesus and get circumcised, thankfully. But you may go to different churches or to different Christian conferences or just engage in conversations with other Christians where there are many other things that you are told that you need to do to be truly spiritual. You need to wear this particular clothing. You need to wear the cross. You need to hold these beads when you pray. And when you pray, you better pray to Mary or to a saint if you got, want God to really hear your prayers. And baptism, well, if you're going to be baptised, you need to be baptised with this particular amount of water touching your skin and no less or no more. And talking about baptism, the real baptism is the spirit baptism and the mark that you have been baptised in the spirit is that you can speak in tongues or do other weird things. And we're talking about church. Church is really important if you're a real Christian, but worship in church must be in a particular type of building with beautiful architecture and stained glass windows and a, a, a musical instrument that draws you into the very presence of God. We're talking about church. It must be done on a Sunday because that's the Lord's Day, unless you're a Seventh-day Adventist, and then it's a Saturday because that's the Sabbath. And then when you gather together, there's a whole list of rules and regulations about what you can eat and what you can't eat. Don't eat meat on Friday. Don't drink alcohol. No caffeine. No white sugar. I don't get that one. But there are lots of rules and regulations that certain Christians have. Now, for some of these, there is nothing necessarily inherently wrong with them by themselves. When they become wrong is when someone insists on them to be a genuine follower of the Lord Jesus, to genuinely be a person of God. Nearly all of them might give the appearance of spirituality, just as the traditions imposed upon the Colossians may have. But they are just as empty today as they were for the Colossians all those years ago. But fear drives people to crazy beliefs and crazy behaviours at times. Stockpiling toilet paper in the midst of a health crisis. And spiritually speaking, there are many people trying to stockpile spiritual and human traditions 
one upon another in fear that they won't miss out on all that God has for them. But can I say, those traditions are no more than spiritual skeletons and useful for one thing only. What's the solution to fear? The solution to fear, according to Paul in Colossians 2, is to take you back to Jesus, to fill your mind with Jesus. Did you notice the whole heart of Colossians chapter 2 is a beautiful explanation of the majesty again of Jesus, who he is and what he has done, fully God, the one who has nailed your sin to the cross, that you bear it no more. You have everything in him. When your doubt and shame and fear hang over you, can I encourage you, when you feel like the arrows of the enemy are upon you, run again to Calvary, that rugged hill of hell's defeat, your fortress and your victory, where your sin was nailed to the cross, where your soul is healed by the scars, and the weight of guilt you bear message that if we've been following Jesus for a long time, we need to keep hearing. Because there'll be many people trying to sell you something else. Guard your mind and keep your faith. And if you're someone still thinking about spiritual things, in investigating maybe even Christianity, I encourage you too to guard your mind and keep your head. Make sure, as I said a few weeks ago, that the Jesus you're looking into is the Jesus of the Bible. The one who is fully God one who loved you to the death and offered you life beyond your dreams. Just as you receive Christ Jesus now, walk in him. Father, we are well aware that there are many people trying to sell us better tickets to heaven, better experiences than what we already know. Father, remind us as you have tonight in Colossians 2 that we already have the all-access pass in your son Jesus. And when fear and doubt and shame hang over us like the arrows of the enemy, help us to run again to Calvary, that rugged hill of hell's defeat.